Praise the Lord, Pineview family. Welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. Tonight we are going to continue our Bible study into the doctrines of Jesus Christ. And in particular, we're going to be looking at the faith doctrine. But before we do that, let's take a moment and spend some time in prayer. Lord God, thank you for this night. Thank you for this day. We ask you to go before us today, Lord. Be with us today in this place. Let your word come forth, Lord, and fill our hearts with the faith and the knowledge and the trust that you desire to have in us. We ask you to touch each and every heart that is here at the church or online, and we ask you to bless each and every family and keep them in your care. And we ask all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we all say in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So again, we are talking tonight about faith. And as we have been doing these lessons on the doctrines of Christ, we go to the scripture that we have been looking at in Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 3. Therefore... Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, or the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So this scripture speaks to faith as being one of the elementary principles of the doctrines of Christ. It is a foundational truth of the doctrine of Christ. So tonight, in our discussion about faith, we are going to look at it from the perspective of another scripture. That scripture is Hebrews 11 and 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So one of the reasons that we want to look at this scripture is that we want to examine what kind of faith is it that pleases God? What is it that God looks for and he says, I am pleased when he sees us demonstrate our faith? But before we can do that, I think we need to stop and take a look at some of the biblical definitions of the word faith. Hebrews 11 and 1 states, first of all, in the King James Version, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I also included a a second version in the English Standard Version that said faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So when we look at the kind of faith that's going to please God, 
there are some key concepts that we need to look at. That is substance, hope, and evidence as it relates to faith. In the biblical definition of faith, it said it is the substance of things hoped for. A substance is something that usually has some sort of form. In this case, the form of the substance of faith is spiritual, not material. It has a heavenly substance. When we hope for something, we have not yet obtained it. We have not yet seen it. So when we hope for something, we have an earnest belief that the thing that we have hoped for will come to pass. You know, the dictionary definition of substance says that it is a real physical matter of a person or a thing which is tangible or solid. But we know that faith is something that is tangible in the heavenly. It is tangible in our hearts. It is tangible to God although we may not necessarily be able to touch it or see it just yet. It is tangible in the heavenly realm. Faith is the essence of things that we hope for. Hope is what drives us in our faith towards God through the promises that he gives us in his word. That scripture goes on to say, that faith is also the evidence of things not seen. Now, in a legal trial, you know that evidence are the things that are the facts and the objects that prove that something is either true or it's false. That evidence could be actual physical objects or something that's called circumstantial evidence. That means that it is evident only by association or a presumption of related incidents. But in faith, we believe that something is evident even though we don't see it yet. We believe that there is evidence because God said that there would be. Our faith is based in trust and in our experiences with God that we know that certain things could never happen without his intervention. So our belief that uh, faith, that something that we have not seen will become evident, and this evidence will come about through the natural or the miraculous. So now we want to look specifically, what kind of faith actually pleases God? How do we demonstrate that kind of faith? Again, we look at our scripture from Hebrews 11 and 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The scripture says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith towards God is our response to all that we know to be true in the world. We know that creation only exists because God made it. 
and our faith acknowledges that he is. God says that if you don't have faith in me, it's going to be impossible for me to be pleased. I often wonder, what is it like for all the people in the world who say they don't believe in God? They don't believe that God exists. They don't believe in his word. How do those people make it through life without any kind of faith in God? So we know that creation only exists because God made it and our faith acknowledges him. We know that faith towards God is pleasing to him because through his word, God's word, has been a timeless record of the miracles and the proof that God is real. The Bible has withstood all of the efforts throughout time and history to destroy it and to deny it. And it is one of the books that is the most translated and copied book out of any of the books that are ever uh, evident in the world. God's faith in God is manifested through belief in his word. Therefore, our acknowledgement that God is real is a demonstration of a faith that will please God. His word is the tangible evidence, like that we talked about that would be given in a trial, that he exists and that he is working on our behalf. The second part of that scripture said he rewards those who diligently seek him. So he rewards those who diligently seek him in prayer. In Psalm 105 and 4, the scripture says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. When you seek the face of God, you are seeking to have a communication with him in prayer. I don't know if you've ever seen um, small children when they um, want to get their parents' attention. Many times they'll climb up on their lap and they'll cup the face of their parent in their hand. And they'll look directly in the eyes of the parents so that the parent will look in their eyes. And that's their way of make, making sure that are you paying attention to me? I want to make sure you can see that I'm talking to you. Well, in many ways, God is like that with us. When we go to him in prayer, when we take the time, when we look to him in prayer, he says, I'm paying attention. I can hear your voice. I know what you're saying. And we have those conversations with him, much like we have a conversation with anybody that we know or love that we have a conversation to talk about our worries, our fears, our hopes, our dreams, the things that we desire him to help us with, the things that we desire him to um, free us from. All of those conversations in prayer are things that uh, he rewards when we diligently seek. He also rewards those who diligently seek him through his word. We talked a little bit about his word before, but the Bible has been given to us as a manual, a living manual. 
a manual that shows us the things that we should be doing, the things that we do that will please him, and most of all the things that we could do that would displease him, the things that he considers to be sin. We need to consistently be in his word in order to please him because it is only through his word that he shows us the things in uh, life that need to be uh, accomplished. It, it proves the things that he has done in the past as evidence of things that he can do in the future. His word tells us what is sin and what is not sin. And if you have your Bible, I know many people still use a hardcover Bible. If you just have it sitting on your coffee table collecting dust, you're not doing reading your word and you're not pleasing God by not reading your word. So those who read his word and diligently seek him through his word are pleasing God. He also rewards those who diligently seek him with our praise. God deserves our praise for all the things that he has done for us. Oftentimes when I'm in my prayer time and I praise God, I praise him for the things that he has brought me to, and I praise him for the things that he has kept me from. Because there are so many things in my life that I know that had it not been for the hand of God, I would have been in trouble, but he kept me from those things. He brought me to many things. He brought me to this church. He brought me to my husband. And I believe that those are all things that he did for me because of praise. When we gather together in our church services, we need to enter through those doors with praise in our heart and praise on our lips. We need to come in ready to praise him. We need to come in ready to acknowledge him. And my husband's smiling back there because he thinks, oh, well, she's glad that um, she's got me. Okay. <laughs> we need to enter the door with praise on our hearts, on our lips, because the scripture says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. If you want the Lord to inhabit your services, if you want the Lord to inhabit the things in your life, then you need to praise God and thank him every single day. Praise him for the big things. Praise him for the little things. Praise him for the things that he has done. Praise him for the things he's going to do. Praise him for the things he's doing in your family, in your community, in your church. Thank God for everything and praise him for everything. If you want to see him move in a mighty, mighty way, you need to come in here ready to praise. So when we look at faith that pleases God, we know that it is grounded in the name of Jesus. Faith in the name of Jesus is what brings salvation. Acts 2 and 38 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Faith that pleases God is grounded in faith in that name. The faith that brings us to a place of salvation. Through faith in his name, we can receive the gift of the power of the Holy Ghost. When we receive that, tongues 
is made evident in speaking in tongues. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, you need to know that tongues is the evidence of the Holy Ghost through faith in his name. And then we also need to be baptized in his name because through baptism, we become his children through adoption. Now, when a child is adopted, they take on the name of the parents that adopt them. When we are baptized in Jesus' name, we take on his name in baptism. We are adopted as his children. So faith that pleases God is grounded in the name of Jesus. Faith that pleases God is also grounded in perseverance. Perseverance is defined, means to press on and to continue to move forward towards God in faith, despite obstacles, setbacks, or discouragement. The scripture that I reference here in Matthew 9 and 20 and 20 through 22 says, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him, that being Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said to her, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. So now perseverance not only existed because she had suffered for 12 long years, and yet she still knew that if she could just get to Jesus, she could be made whole. But the other thing that perseverance shows is that she, in order to touch the hem of his garment, you know that she had to go crawling on her hands and knees through a crowd of people to get to his hem. And if you're in a crowd of people, you know yourself just trying to walk through a crowd of people upright is hard enough. But to get on your hands and knees and to crawl through that crowd just so you can touch the head of his garment, you know that that is true perseverance and faith and perseverance is what healed her. The Lord looked at her faith and her perseverance and said, your faith has made you well. Faith that pleases God is also grounded in obedience. Obedience is the key to everything and is driven by faith. We must be obedient to God's word and the instruction that he gives to us in order for him to be pleased with us. Obedience means that we will perform his commands and that we will do those things and we will go where God commands us to go and do what he commands us to do. And sometimes, without even really understanding why or how. That's what faith is about. We talk about obedience when we look at the story of Noah. Noah was called of God to build an ark because the Lord said he was going to send a flood and he was going to destroy the people on the earth. And Noah listened to God and obeyed him and started to build an ark. The thing that's interesting about this is he was building an ark on dry land. 
And the scripture says in Genesis 2 and 5, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land. So Noah built an ark when there wasn't even any rain yet. Noah was doing this out of obedience to what God had commanded him to do. And that obedience caused him to be able to save not only his family and the creatures that he put in the ark so that the earth could be repopulated by all of these these creatures and by his family. So obedience, the scripture says obedience is better than sacrifice to the Lord. So faith that pleases God is grounded in obedience to him and to his word. Faith that pleases God is also grounded in courage. Courage is faith in action. Courage says that with God's help, I can do things that now seem impossible. Courage says that God will help me in my darkest hour. Courage says I can face my problems, though the odds be stacked against me. In 1 Samuel 14 and 6, we read about Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul. It says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So Jonathan and his armor bearer went up to this garrison of Philistines. There were 20 of them and two of Jonathan and his armor bearer, and they defeated them all. And that courage was demonstrated by Jonathan because he knew his faith was in God, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So courage is faith in action. <clears throat> faith that pleases God is also grounded in trust. Faith and trust always go hand in hand. We must trust that God will do what is in our best interest, even though it means we may go through tremendous trials. In Job 13 and 15, the scripture says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Though he slay me. How many of us could say that? How many of us could say, if God were to kill me tomorrow, I'm still going to trust him no matter what. But Job knew that in spite of everything, he knew that God had his hand on him, even though he suffered, even though he had obstacles. And in everything that Job lost as a result of his trials, God gave him back double in the end because he was faithful and he trusted in God. <coughs> Excuse me. So we need to be trusting in God when we don't see an end, we don't see a possibility, when we don't see an outcome. We need to trust that God has our best interests at heart. 
The faith that pleases God is grounded in love. Matthew 22:37 through 40 says, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In 1 John 4 and 19, the scripture says, We love him because he first loved us. Faith towards God is grounded in not only his love for us, but our love for him. We must love him and, and, and appreciate all of the things that he does for us, the things that he has spared us from. Faith in God is based upon his unfailing love for us. We respond to that love and show our love without restraint. His love for us is unconditional. And many times, our love for God is conditional. Many times we'll pray and say, if you'll do this, I'll do that. Well, that's conditional love. God loves us unconditionally. Our love for him needs to be grounded in thanksgiving to him for all he has done for us without condition because he is our God. <clears throat> Faith that pleases God also brings about the miraculous. In Matthew 8, 10 and 13, Jesus says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as, as thou hast believed, so it be done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. <coughs> now the centurion, <coughs> who was not a Jew, he was a Roman, went to Jesus and said, my servant is sick and I need you to heal him. But you don't need to come to my house because I'm not a worthy, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But because I'm a man of authority, <coughs> you have to excuse me, <coughs> because I am a man of authority, I know that you have the authority to say the word and by saying the word, my servant will be healed. And that's all I need to know. That centurion had great faith in what Jesus could do. That centurion knew that because Jesus had the authority, much like this young man had the authority, that Jesus could say the word and it would happen. And Jesus marveled and said that he had not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Because many of the, of the Israelites that were following Jesus were basing it on their need to see a miracle. They had to see something. They wanted to, they wanted to talk about it. They were running from place to place to see what Jesus would do. But this centurion didn't need to see it. He just needed to say it. In Jesus' name, thank you so much. <clears throat>
another example of faith that brings about the miraculous is found in Matthew 15 and 28 when Jesus answered her and said, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as your desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This woman, another person who was not a Jew, came to Jesus and said that my daughter is vexed with a spirit. Please come and deliver her from that spirit. But Jesus said to her, I'm, I'm, I'm only called to the people of Israel. I really can't come and help you. And she pressed him, and she pressed him. And he said, you know, he used an expression that said, it is not good for me to throw bread to the dogs. It, 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 giving her the impression that she would not be worthy. But what did the woman say? Was she offended? Did she run away offended and, and say, oh, well, then I, you can't help me? No. She said, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. And Jesus then looked at that and said, oh, woman, great is your faith. Your daughter was healed. Again, Jesus didn't need to go to the house. He didn't need to touch the woman. He needed to only speak the word. And based on her faith, he, he healed her uh, daughter. In the second instance, in Mark 10, 51 and 52, Jesus answered and said unto them, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Jesus said, Go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. This is the story of a, a person that we call blind Bartimaeus. And blind Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was coming down the street and he kept yelling out to him, Jesus, thou son of David, save me. Jesus, thou son of David, heal me. And they were all of the people around him were saying, keep quiet, keep quiet, don't bother him. But then Jesus said, bring him to me. And they said, oh, he's calling you, go ahead. And when he asked him, what was it that you wanted? He says, please, I want to receive my sight. And because of his faith, and the thing that we talked about before, perseverance, you know how people will sometimes poo-poo you and say, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't really bother them about that and don't go do that. He's, he ignored them and he says, I need a healing and I need Jesus. And my faith is going to take me there. And Jesus said, your, <clears throat> your faith has helped him to receive his sight. Again, Jesus didn't lay hands on him. He didn't do anything except speak the word, and the man was healed. <clears throat> well, there is faith that does not please God. Faith that wavers does not please God. In James 1, 6 through 8, it says, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, it's easy to sit here and say that we shouldn't waver in our faith, but but we're human. It's hard not to sometimes have lapses in faith. 
and wonder, does God hear my prayer? Does God know my situation? Do you know where I am, God? Sometimes the scripture says to, to ask in faith and not to waver. I have um, a remembrance of a person that used to attend our church. She was uh, in a service, and she um, it was the morning service, and she went home. We used to have two services, one in the morning, one in the evening. She went home from that service, and, and she said she was ironing, and, and she said, uh, God, you don't even, do you even know my name? Do you know who I am? And that night she came back to the second service, and we had a visiting uh, minister here, a visiting evangelist. And out of, out of the blue, as he was preaching, he stopped, he turned, and he looked back in her direction, and he says, God told me to tell you that he knows your name. Now, if that is not faith, that is faith that even though her faith wavered, God demonstrated to her that he still knew her name. So when we lose heart, when our faith wavers, we should ask the Lord and say, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my wavering. Help me, Lord, to be steadfast and to know, though I don't see it, though I don't feel it, you still know my name. Another thing that doesn't please God is that faith that doubts. In Acts 10, 19-20, it says, While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. This comes from one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Acts chapter 10. It talks about Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion. It says he was from the Italian band, which is why I like it. And he was a man who, because he wasn't a Jewish man, but he still believed in God, and he was a good man. He gave alms to the poor, he made prayers, and one day while uh, Cornelius was in prayer, an angel appeared to him and said, go, find a man by the name of Peter, who's staying with a man named Simon the Tanner, and bring him here, because he's gonna tell you and your household what to do for salvation. The centurion immediately called two of his, his uh, workers and sent them to go find Peter. Now, at that time, it was not um, considered lawful for a Jew and a Gentile to associate together in the same place. And so, while Peter was having this vision, God knew that if he was going to have to send him to a, a Roman, a Gentile, that God had to change Peter's mind because Peter would have doubted whether that was really of God to go and see a non-Jew. A non and God said, go therefore, I have sent them. And because Peter obeyed God and did not doubt and went to Cornelius and all of his family, he told them about Jesus. He told them about what Jesus had done. And as a result of that, 
everyone that was gathered there, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them, they all received the Holy Ghost, and that they were all baptized in Jesus' name. So, by not doubting, by doing what God said, by going forward, even though it seems to go against the grain of what you think you know, because we think we know a lot of things, and God says, maybe you don't think you know what, you, what, what I want you to know. Peter obeyed and did not doubt, and because of that, Cornelius and his family and friends were saved. Fear is a faith killer. Fear is something that we all experience at times, and fear can paralyze faith. Joshua 10 and 25 says, Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. Oftentimes for us it is fear of rejection and failure that causes us not to step out in faith that God would have us to do. <clears throat> We don't witness because we fear rejection. We don't witness because we, we think about our past sins and think, oh, I'm not worthy to do that. I can't tell anybody else about Jesus. We don't pray for others because we often feel inadequate. I know that there have been times in the service when the Lord will lay upon me, um, go and pray for that person. And you sit there and you go, oh, is that really you, God? Or is that me? Or am I really feeling this? And you just have to say, no, don't be afraid. Don't worry. How can anybody reject wanting prayer? How can anybody reject needing prayer? So fear is a faith killer. And we can't let fear paralyze our faith. Faith is taking hold in our country right now. The slide shows you different scenes of young people at the Asbury College in Kentucky. And it's not only at this college, it's across several colleges throughout the land where they were having revival services and prayer services and praise services for weeks and weeks and weeks. And people from the area, not just college students, were wanting to come to these services, and they would stand in long lines outside the auditoriums for eight hours waiting to get inside. What drives people to want to do that? It is faith in knowing that God is doing something in this hour. God is moving upon the hearts of many people, and he is asking you to be open to the fact that he wants to do something in your community, in your family, in your church, wherever you are. God is moving. He's not just moving in these churches or in these assemblies. He is moving if we will only make ourselves available to him and draw him in faith. So there is a question then that the Lord is asking. In Luke 18 and 8, it says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. 
God is asking you that question. Jesus is coming back soon. Will he find you faithful when he returns? Will he find a people who are living their lives like he could come any day and we would be ready for him to return? Will he find people <coughs> who want to believe in his word, obedient to his commands, and more than that, share his message with others who need to hear it before he comes back? We want to take as many people with us on our way to heaven. So Jesus wants to know, when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you have shown us through your word that you love us more than anything. Lord, I ask you to increase our faith. Help us to live out our faith that pleases you. Help our faith to be demonstrated so that others will be drawn to you. Others will want to come up to us and say, gee, what's different about you? I want to know what's different about you and that we can share with them what you have done for us in our lives. Lord, we want to be ready when you come back. And we ask all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.